Hey everybody, welcome back. This is your host, Brandy J with Voices of Courage. Today I have with me the amazing Dr. Troy, who is an award-winning culture strategic strategist, I mean, you can enunciate, <laughs> and speaker, best-selling author, and talent retention specialist. Hello, Dr. Troy, how are you today? I'm fine, Brandy J. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I'm just so happy to have you here. <laughs> I know, and if I were any better, I, I would be you. You're good. <laughs> I like him, everybody. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so grateful to have you here in Voices of Courage. Uh, I know today that you're here to, you, you do a plethora of things as we heard here, and you're here today to talk to us about one of your books. And what stood out for me as I was reading through your, your things was uh, something that your mother told you. And she said to you, it's not the success and failures that shape your life. It's how you handle them. And that like resonated with me. So I think parenting and mothers really set, you know, the that ground of where you can the places you can go in life. Yeah. And especially was, if you have especially if you have a healthy relationship with your parents. Yeah. yeah, definitely so. And there are individuals who do struggle, you know, with single parenting and things of that nature. But um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have both uh, a mom and dad, although uh, you'll hear a little bit more about the story with some of the trials and tribulations we faced. Cool, awesome. So that, with you, she sounded very wise, and that um, statement there—is that the one, or like, could that is that the one that kind of sets you in, in your path of where where you are now? Well, what really um, started probably more than anything is um, at the beginning of. So I'll give you a little bit of a background at the beginning of the story. So the book we're going to talk about today is called Fanny Rules: A Mother's Leadership Lessons That Never Grow Old. And this book is a tribute to my mom's leadership that she passed along to me. And it's a compliment to the first book that I launched, which was Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. And so I, as a, a talent retention strategist, what I do is I work with uh, companies and I work as an executive coach and I work around the areas of leadership, culture, strategy, and change. So uh, Fanny Rules was a really a perfect compliment to the cohesion culture because in there I deal with leadership and that's really what mom provided as a base of leadership. And so before I tell the story, I want to make sure everyone knows I had a great relationship with my dad as well. So I had a good family unit. My mom was the nurturer and the caregiver. My dad was the protector and provider. And those were the roles that they chose. And realistically, being married in the early 40s, you can imagine um, that was the you know standard roles that they would accept. But they they chose those roles and they continued to, to have those roles up until the time they passed away. So if with your with your permission, I'll just give you a little background as to how my story with Fanny started. Yes, uh, most definitely, go right ahead. Okay, good. So when I was 12 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. We lived in a small rural town in West Virginia where there was limited economic opportunities. We had uh, almost no educational facilities close by. The, the uh, sixth grade uh, actually closed. So we had one through sixth grade elementary and it closed and everyone was then bused to a 45 minute to an hour away for schooling. We were 30 to 45 minutes from any type of hospital or medical facility. So you can imagine, and especially 50 some years ago when someone was diagnosed with cancer, the immediate prognosis is they're going to die. And so that's what we really thought. So I kind of felt that mom was going to die, but that's not the choice mom made. Mom said, 
that she's going to continue to live life as long as she can. She said, up until the time I heard about what the doctor was telling me, I had planned to live. She said, so I am going to continue to live. I'll do everything I can. I'll do that until the good Lord takes me away. So that she decided to hold off and have her operation during that summer between my uh, school year. And it's because I was going to be the primary caregiver for her. So during that summer, after her operation, I nurtured her back to health. And my responsibility was to be there and take care of her. I did all the cooking, the cleaning. I wrote checks. She taught me how to do all of that uh, as she was preparing for the operation. I knew how to get up in the morning at 6 a.m. and make sure that uh, dad had his breakfast at 6.30. His lunch was packed and he was ready to leave the house at 7 o'clock. And it was just the process that we kind of went through. But when mom made that choice to live, one of the lessons that she taught me was that that my character would be defined by choices, not circumstance. She said, we were poor by circumstance, not by choice. She had cancer by circumstance, not by choice. So by choosing to live each and every day, then you would be putting yourself into a mental mindset that as a leader, that's what you wanna do because then you bring life to the things around you. Uh, as a direct result, I have a great positive attitude about life. And I have a lot of little lessons that I think would be important that she has shared with me that I wanted to provide to the world. Well, as mom uh, survived that summer, uh, she still had her trials and tribulations through the course of their uh, marriage. Um, and it was more medical. And toward the end of her life, she was diagnosed with dementia. And as a result of that, Alzheimer's took her memories and Alzheimer's eventually took her away from us. So in the book, Fanny Rules, I share 31 teachable moments wrapped around nine rules for really being a good leader that mom provided to me. And the, my proceeds of the book will benefit the Alzheimer's Association. So it's really awesome that I get to talk about this book, which happens to be not only my mom as the star of the book, but also because the benefits of what's happening is going to benefit um, the Alzheimer's Association. And so it's really my privilege to be able to offer those stories to a whole new generation of leaders who can use them from the backyard to the boardroom. And some of these folks, they just need a little fanny of their own. That's awesome. You know, I was trying so hard not to tear up because it just made me think of like, you know, the stuff, but Thank you for sharing that. You said something very important that I actually had um, written down earlier that stood out. It was mindset, you know, because mindset, you would say that's very important to have a great mindset to be able to be successful at anything, wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the, the individual leader's mindset begins the whole process. So it's kind of like, mom would tell me like, well, what you put in is what's going to come out. Mm -hmm. So be careful what you're putting in, be careful who you're associating with, be careful of all of those items, make good choices because those choices are gonna show up in your actions and your behaviors. And um, so the quote that you mentioned in the beginning about successes and failures uh, came a little bit later in life. Um, you know, mom always had uh, this drive for me. She said, you know, you're gonna be successful. I mean, just think about it. I have a PhD in global leadership and entrepreneurship I have had a chance to travel. I've been, I've, I've seen 45 of our US states. I've traveled to over 60 countries and set foot in six continents. The reality is, is that that is almost 
unthinkable for an individual coming from the economic and the educational background that surrounded my parents and surrounded the area and the small town in which we lived. But it's because mom said that I could be anything I wanted to be. She said, just be the very best at it. She said, if you want to be a janitor, she said, you just go ahead and be the janitor. Mr. Jenkins is the janitor and he does a great job. She says, but what I want to tell you is that wherever, if you choose to do that, I'm coming to where you work and I'm going to check the corners of the rooms because young man, she said, that's where you need to clean. Anybody can sweep in the middle of the floor. So those are the life lessons. And so at one other point in my time, in my life, I was actually told that I would never be a writer, that I didn't have the ability to do that. And, you know, those are hurtful things that people are told in their life that instead of encouraging them to do it or helping them figure out a way to do it, they tend to put them down and to say, well, you don't have the talent for that. But mom really believed that you could have whatever talent you wanted. You just needed to exercise it. You needed to figure it out and you could put it forward and, and, and make it work. And so she told me not to worry about successes and failures. She said, worry about how they will shape your life by the choices you make. And so I kind of equate that a little bit to a story, might have a little bit of a fantasy story to this about Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb. And supposedly a journalist asked him after he had attempted uh, many times and failed, Mr. Edison, what does it feel like to have failed a thousand times in creating the light bulb? And without hesitation, Mr. Edison's response was supposed to have been something like, young man, I just figured out 1,000 ways not to do it. <laughs> And then supposedly the 1001 way was when he created the light bulb. And of course, now we know how that story ends. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay. So self-esteem is something that goes with the mind, the mindset. And it sounds like, you know, the healthy relationship you have with your mother built that, you know, because some people don't get those messages. And what would you say to the person that didn't have the healthy relationship with a mother or, or had didn't have the father in the home, how would they defeat those, those odds and be able to push through? Uh, Brandy, that is an excellent question. And so what it does is it goes to the subject of writing the Fanny Rules book, and that is it's a self-help mentoring guide. So that book can help individuals who may not have had that great positive influence with their parents, but they can have so with a mentor. In some families, the grandparents serve as mentors. They serve as substitutes for the parents. I've seen aunts and uncles serve that same, pro same process. And I've also seen older siblings actually fill in that role and responsibility. So there's a number of options and choices. And even if you did have a healthy relationship with your mom and dad, getting an outside perspective from another individual who is successful, someone that you trust, like, you know, in a mentoring uh, relationship, that's an excellent way for you to go about exercising your mind as far as thinking about different things, getting somebody else's point of view and really working through uh, a number of these issues that sometimes you would really hope that the parents would be able to provide. But when not, it's great to be supported on the outside as well by a mentor. Okay. okay. So how important would you say that being being, uh, allowing yourself to be, to take outside information. Because I find uh, no matter where we go in life or where we're trying to get to, if you're not willing to just take in extra information versus like, oh, I got this, I know what I'm doing. How important is that to actually be, I guess would be to be teachable? 
Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said the word teachable because in the cohesion culture book and also reference in Fanny rules, I put forth seven attributes of an effective leader. And the first one is teachability. You have to be teachable. If you aren't teachable, your mind isn't ready to um, experience new things or to receive information from other people. You can sometimes become so positioned and so stubborn in your viewpoint that you don't really get what anybody else says. It's almost like if what they were saying to you was water, you're like a rock and it just runs off of you. And so the opportunity is for you to really open up your mind and to be more accepting. I think some confusion that people have is they sometimes believe that understanding another person's point of views or accepting their point of view means agreement. And it really doesn't. It just means I understand and accept it. And to give you a really good example of that, leaders today need to make sure that they move from this position of cultural superiority to being more culturally relative. And what that means is that when you're cultural superior, it's that you believe that the way you were raised, all of your uh, norms, traditions and rituals are perfect. They're right. And you judge everyone else mm -hmm. based on that understanding. But if you're culturally relative, then it means that you will begin to understand the context, the perspective the perception of those individuals who are raised in a different culture, who have different experiences. And sometimes even people in the same culture can come out with different viewpoints. So it's an opportunity to really break down that barrier that says, I have to judge everything by my standard and anybody who doesn't meet up to it is, is, is uh, insignificant or is uh, subordinate. And so what's happened is, and you know this through especially the attention we've had in the last 24 months, which we should have had for the last 2,400 years, is that people's voices have been marginalized and individuals have been oppressed. And that is really just doesn't create a positive environment where people can survive and they can do well and they can have peace. So if a leader can embody these seven attributes, being teachable, having compassion, extending grace, seeking the truth, offering humility, having pure intentions, being pure of heart and making peace. If you can do those things, if you just think about them, they're not hard to do. Those seven attributes will prepare you as a leader to interact in this world. Now, I want to share an example uh, with you for your listeners as well regarding the difference between being cultural superior and cultural relative. I had an opportunity to teach at De La Salle University in Manila, and I was doing a leadership course. And the Asian students who were taking that course were getting ready to transition to another higher level of education. And because I teach leadership, one of the questions I ask when I do this, whether it's in whether it's in uh, the U.S. or Canada or Europe, I would ask the students and I would say, well, tell me, um, raise your hand if you think you're a leader. Now, typically in these other countries, I have either everybody raising their hand or a good number of them raising their hand. But in this Asian group, not one person raised their hand. And I had to think about that for a minute. And I was like, wow, that's sort of an unusual sort of experience. So if I had related to those students based on what I thought was the cultural superiority of these other groups that I had been involved in, I would have missed a very fundamental understanding. And when I explored further with them, uh, because I wanted to know why they didn't feel, why they wouldn't raise their hand, um, they shared with me that in their culture to accept the title of leader meant that they had received a certain level of certification, a certain level of education, maybe that they had been um, 
you know, a certain number of years that they've lived. And so they wouldn't claim those at that age because they didn't feel that they were ready for it. Now, in the U.S., for instance, we'll claim being a leader, knowing that we're a work in progress. and We don't wait for the end of anything. We just take the stuff as it comes and goes. But in the Asian culture, it was different. So you can imagine what the teaching of leadership would have been like had I have scolded them for not raising their hands, had I thought that there was a problem with them because they didn't raise their hands. Now, I don't want to present myself to your listeners as though I'm perfect. I have my share of mistakes. But that was a moment in which I got it. And so I use that as an example to help people understand the difference between being cultural superior about something or having cultural relativity, being that I'm ready for the understanding of what's happening. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, example. And it uh, registers so much and makes me think of a plethora of things. It kind of, you can um, kind of apply it to, um, say, for instance, like uh, there's this, even now it's very strong, this uh, thing with, racism like with black and then white people and then black people feeling dismissed or they're like, oh, you know, when you hear a story or you're voicing something that's, you know, that you are dealing with. And I'm, see I'm, I'm seeing that maybe that's the disconnect is the superiority instead of the uh, more of the understanding and trying to listen and, and hear. I always tell people, put yourself in someone else's shoes and just try it on for size, but vice versa, you know what I mean? I understand completely what you what you say, because I recognize that as a white male, even though I lived in a poor town with limited access, I did not have the struggles that a comparable individual of another cultural background would have. That they would either their ethnicity um, with their gender preference, whatever it happens to be. I understand that I had opportunity that would have been presented to me just based on who who I would who I would be when I would show up in front of individuals. So the opportunity is to make sure that we understand and since you brought this up is that I speak very strongly about this. It's it, the diversity, equity and inclusion conversation is everyone's conversation. It's not just it's not just for people of color or people of a different uh, gender preference or or whatever that distinction is it's not just up to them to lead the conversation and lead the fight it's up to all of us yeah. and that's part of why in a cohesion culture i talk about belonging value and shared mutual commitment so when i help organizations create cohesion cultures i'm helping them build diversity equity and inclusion because i believe that people need to be invited respected and included and yeah. until that happens until we decide that we're going to do that then we're going to constantly be fighting this battle of, of, of disconnect that will happen. And what we have to do is sometimes listen to the story. And even though individuals may not want to hear the story, may not want to hear the, the, the plight of the individual, I definitely remind folks of this. You cannot serve the many until you serve the one. That means you, the leader, have to be right. That's the first thing. You've got to make sure you're right. You can't lead a bunch of people if you're not right. So you got to work on yourself and make sure that you are presenting yourself in the right way. Those are some of the lessons my mom taught me. The other part of that then says, not only that, but when I lead people, I am leading hims and hers, not thems. So my conversations cannot just be to people as a complete group and lump everybody into one category. I need to understand that I will lead a group with conversations and directions and information, but I must also lead the one. So I have to really focus on the individual needs of the people individually. 
That translates to the third aspect, which says that until I see the humanness of the one, I will not be able to understand the plight of the many. And I will not be able to make a difference in what I do because I have been ignorant to the individual. And just like my grandma who told stories a hundred times over, I was the kid who listened a hundred times over. I didn't care if grandma told me those stories a hundred times. For people who've been marginalized or oppressed, I'll hear their stories a hundred or a thousand times, how many ever times they want to tell me. Because what I understand is that we need to have, we need, we need to get that out. We need to, we need to take what has been suppressed for so long and actually let it out and really do something about it as opposed to just talking about it, actually doing something. And so for me, um, and again, folks can check my social media record. I have individuals from all around the world who interact with me, who are part of my group. When you see my friend list, you see an eclectic group of individuals um, with a variety of backgrounds. And I've just been part of my upbringing from the way my mom taught me all along. And that, you know, she really wanted us to really see people on the inside, to see who people were and choose them based on their actions and their behaviors, not based on anything we saw on the outside. I'm not dismissing it, but I'm saying that for me, I try to focus more on well, what is the individual like and, and, and what do they stand for? Are they going to be respectful to other people? If they are, I'm going to follow that person. If you're not going to cause harm to another human being, I'm going to be on your side. You want to cause harm to a human being? I don't care where you're from. You're not on my side. Yeah, I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that truly stood out um, as you were talking. I was like, that is like right there, that whole thing, because I see it. I'll, I'll tell you a quick one, because I know this is about you. <laughs> no, go, 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 it's good. I connected with, um, in this community, uh, a person um, that, you know, does work for like veterans and stuff. And, uh, you know, and he really not up for like the whole black talk or anything like that. He's like, look, are you American? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you know, some things come up and I can see the frustration like, anything that has to do with, you know, and it could be in the most positive manner or willing to educate you or some, or share some knowledge with you. But, and that's just that person, just, you just, anything that has to be, it's just like, they don't want to, it's like, we, let's do this. We got to do this together. We're Americans, let's do this together. But as soon as you hear anything that has to do with a, a struggle or something that is truly relevant to that person and what they, what they are going through is either comparison. Well, I do this. I, I, I have these two, I have this, or just like, well, you know, and that's me. I'm just like, what is that? And I'm like, there's, you can't be in this one thing together, but then you, you know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of throw that side, like that doesn't matter. Like it does matter. <laughs> you really know? Does. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, I just be trying to find a, a way to come across without being like peachy or just a, a very sincere and, um, yeah. and making a learning a moment, you know? So well, you know, the other thing I the other thing I say, too, is if we take more time to try to understand and ask questions, people wouldn't have to be yelling their point of view so much. Like right now, people are yelling a point of view because they don't feel they're heard. And that's what happens in like an argument. It's typical human behavior. If you're not heard, you raise your voice and you get loud and sometimes you get aggressive. I'm like, why do we need people to get loud and aggressive? Let's just let people talk. Let's hear what they have to say. And let's determine where their conversation is and how does it contribute to the humankind as a whole. So will we lead humankind by being 
by really being nice to each other, by being compassionate? Will we extend grace to people simply because we can? Grace is the unmerited favor that we extend to someone else that we don't even know sometimes, or it could be somebody we know, but we're not expecting anything in return. We just extend grace. And if we can get our minds into focusing and working like that, I think we're gonna really, we're gonna have a much better outcome than potentially where we have been headed. And, and certainly, if you kind of think about the oppressions of individuals over the last you know, 2000 plus years, I mean, it's just horrible that by now we haven't figured any of this out. Like, I don't even know we've gotten any better at it other than at least we're now talking about it sometimes where before it was kind of hidden under the, under the rug, but now at least conversations are coming forward. But I don't want to make people yell to get their point across. I want them to be able to share with me what they feel and what they think and what they do and, and, uh, and, what to, and what to say. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I totally agree. I like that. Hmm, I like that. You're giving, giving me a lot to, to, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yes. So that being said, like, you know, we all have, you know, our obstacles and our great moments and everything. What would you say would be your your hugest struggle? And what then also what would be, you would say, one of your your greatest moments that you hold dear to you? Well, it may be hard to find a single moment that I hold dear, but uh, some of the struggles, of course, that, you know, that I have along the way is like most folks, and that is, you know, this strong desire to be liked, right? Being likable. So I talk about it and say, you know, being liked is overrated. Um, the idea about making people happy. So I have this little message to folks. I say, look, your job isn't to make everybody around you happy. But your job or the role you should take on is to make sure you're not the reason they're unhappy. You don't want them to be the reason that they're unhappy. So if you can take on that role, then that'll be great. You can do that. So it's really about your focus of, of where you are. So likability. The other thing is, and I can easily work with leaders on this to help them because I've been there. And that is I try to do everything myself. I think I'm a leader. I'm supposed to know everything. So people expect me to be an when I say I'm an expert, that's A-N. I'm not the expert. The expert means nobody else can come and stand beside me. But as an, an expert, then others can stand beside me and I can learn from them and they hopefully with an open mind can learn from me. So those are some of the struggles that, you know, that I've had. The struggle of not being good enough. I mean, who doesn't struggle with that one? Or sometimes when you rise to levels of success, like for me, you get that imposter syndrome where you don't think you're good. You know, you don't think you deserve it. You don't think you're right for it. Like you really feel like you're not authentic or genuine. And I don't even know that crazy conversation because I don't have that one for too long. But for me, for most of them, I could work through them. A lot of it because of the leadership lessons from my mom. I had a friend one time tell me, she said, Troy, she said, you know what? She said, your life. She says, and how you feel about your life and how your life will go will not be measured by how many times you get on it, but how quickly you get off it. And that was really a great way to think about it, because as we talk about things that we don't like about ourselves or we talk about biases and judgments, the real the real I think trick in all of it is that it's not about suppressing it. It's not about hiding it or pretending that it's not there. It's about making sure that it doesn't control you and it doesn't take you over. 
because I am going to have judgments and biases. But guess what? I don't have to put them in the forefront like it's going to drive like a bulldozer. I understand that I may have preferences to one thing versus another. I may have things that I like versus what I dislike. Well, those types of judgments and those types of biases we have all the time. But how much they drive when they're destructive to people, that's the difference. So the goal is to understand what your biases are, understand them and, and respect them, but don't let them drive you to being somebody that you don't want to be. Make those choices of who you are, because when you allow biases and judgments to dictate how you actually interact with people uh, in a way of accepting or not accepting them, then then you tend to to fall a little bit more on that um you know, on that side that you've got a harsher edge and therefore you're being more cultural superior than really being more cultural relative. And so let those biases and, and judgments be there and they can become circumstance. And again, my life is not going to be dictated by circumstances. It's going to be dictated by choice. And uh, people have asked me and they said, you know, what's your favorite movie of all time or what's your favorite line from a movie? And I have to refer to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And it basically it was when the caretake, caretaker was there for the chalice and they were going to dip the chalice into the into the life breathing water. What chalice would you choose? And the and the um, the guardian, he says to the individuals, choose wisely. And that has always been so important to me in, in my conversations with people and making sure that the choices that I would make would be wise choices, choices that would respect other people. So I think that I would then say generally in life, my greatest moments are the moments when I have really connected with people. I have helped them achieve something that they would never have achieved on their own because they were feeling down or less important or they felt like they lack something. And I believe that's one of the reasons why I'm so motivated to be an executive coach, because I know I'm going to be bringing out uh, things in people that they may not have wanted or knew to bring out on their own. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I love that part too. Um, I noticed I was uh, going through some of your videos, uh, teachable moments too. And I got the sense, um, like words stood out to me. Then I got the sense, you know, positivity, you know, always, I think, going to lead you either, you know, if you're negative, then your results most likely are negative, you know, and that's why positive and negative kind of go like this, because this other person's like so positive, and you're like, you can't say the word, you can't, and I'm just like, well, thinking like that, you probably won't, you know, exactly. so, so I noticed, you know, that was something you, you carry the, the positivity, and then you also realize, no, I think no matter what we do in life, it's always about people, the people, no matter what you're trying to give them, show themselves to them, it still come back, comes down. I think number one would be the people. And you said something about, and one of them, uh, how would you want to be treated when you're dealing with, uh, I think it had to do more, that one had to do more with the uh, returning, um, mess or responding back to messages or it was, I went through a few of them, but it still registered a lot with just how you interact or deal with, when you're questioning yourself, like, did I do this? Did I do, you know, they think about it, what about yeah. you? How would you want to be treated? And that's why I'm like, people you hear that and they don't really register, like, treat people how you want to be treated. And I doubt anybody wants to be treated like crap. <laughs> I don't right. care what you say. <laughs> and you know, the you thing know? about it is it's so easy, but yet they, the people will sometimes still spend thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to 
to correct something that is really so easy and very basic to be able to do. But I guess I'm grateful for it because otherwise I might be out of a living if they didn't, because <laughs> people hire me to help them do the easy stuff. Um, but it, it is, it's just fundamental uh, in doing it. Yeah. And you enjoy it. And that's, and I, I'm a believer in doing what you love. Cause it, can, can you, can you say that this, this, okay. Cause somebody um, taking these, uh, these, you know, aspects of things and, apply them but also be someone that this just isn't for you know how like some people like that might not be for you but that not might be for you your thing but you can still horn those attributes if that makes any sense and yeah it really it really does as a matter of fact there's nothing wrong with any of the attributes like when we talk about a cohesion culture in an organization and we wrap it around those um, strategic framework of belonging value and shared mutual commitment i asked the leaders of the group i said do you have any employees who don't want to belong do you have any employees who don't want to feel valued? And do you want your teams to have shared mutual commitments? Because if you do want those things, and if those individuals want those things, then it's good. There isn't anything bad about any of that. If anything, what I have learned is that in cultures, all cultures, um, Simon Sinek says this, he says the need to belong is, is not rational. He says, but it exists in all cultures. And he's correct. All the places I've seen, individuals want to belong, they want to be a part, sometimes they strive, sometimes they make silly decisions based on wanting to belong, but they have this in, innate need to belong and be a part of something. But what we, where we have our disconnect is when we start intermixing those cultural and we, and we start seeing interracial, intercultural connections, then we see where that sense of belonging goes to a whole new place. And it, it, so our challenge and our opportunities here, so it's really probably more of an opportunity than really, it shows up as a challenge, but it's the opportunity. And that is to really find a way to blend information and blend people so that they can truly belong into the same space, that they don't have to retreat to one side, uh, to the left or the right, to feel like they belong. They can belong in the middle, and that's where peace is. Peace exists for everyone when it belongs in the middle. So that's a little bit of my philosophy and, and what I do. And so a lot of the information I have is really a great framework for everyone. It's just the intensity in some of the areas where people have more strengths and weaknesses. That's where I tend to spend time helping people is based on the intensity of where they want to bring it forward and what they want to do. And then I will tell you this, sometimes people are, they're not only broken, but somebody, somebody broke them, somebody ruined them because they will sometimes come into a session with me or they'll come in and they've got a particular mindset that I am like, wow, how did you get there? And it's the crazy things that people may have influenced and told you in your life that you then believed were, was the truth. Because how we act is all based on our value system. So we create values each and every day in life and how we interact. Our values then manifest into beliefs. So what we believe is based on our values. Our attitudes of how we then start to show that is based on our beliefs and our values. And then our behaviors is the combination of attitudes, beliefs, and values. And so when people don't behave well, it's because their value system is different. Their value system is skewed. Their value system isn't aligned. Whatever that is, that's where it is. It's in the value system. So if you want to change a person's behavior, you can only impact it through the value system and you will not get to the value system if you don't begin to understand or know where people come from because the only person who truly changes that value is the person. 
no matter how much influence I exert, that individual must want to change. If they don't change that value, it's on them. Oh, I can extend some authority. I can do institutional power that I might have in certain cases. But as soon as I leave, people will go back to doing what they were doing before I asserted the institutional power. So our opportunity as leaders is to find ways to influence people through motivation and through enabling them. So we can stimulate them into action, we can mold their thinking, and we can give them the resources and remove the obstacles. And we can do all that to help them be successful. Then we've accomplished our job as being a leader. Amazing. This is, a, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited to play this back. And I'm so excited for the, the listeners. I think each and every, everyone can take something from this. And uh, this is good stuff. Well, super. <laughs> super. And I hope your listeners will follow me on social media through uh, at Dr. Troy Hall. So I'm in Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and it's at Dr. Troy Hall. So it's really easy to find me. I have a website called drtroyhall.com. It's just 10 letters, folks, with an <laughs> at sign for one and a dot com for the other. So it's really easy for people to connect with me and uh, and see what I'm all about and follow some of my my teachings, which are, you know, a reflection of what my mom's taught me, what my dad's taught me. And then there have been some, you know, really tremendous great leaders uh, within, uh, you know, even our current times that I tend to follow and use as part of uh, what I teach and what I talk about. Okay. And your books, they can go, they're on Amazon, correct? Absolutely. Both books are on Amazon. Fanny Rules, A Mother's Leadership Lessons That Never Grow Old is available in paperback and Kindle and Audible. And Cohesion Culture is currently available on Kindle and paperback, but will be available in October on Audible. So anyone who wants to listen to books, they'll be able to get both of them. I've been very blessed. Both of those books ended up being best-selling titles. Um, Fanny Rules was number one in business and professional humor. Awesome. I'm definitely going to go over there and get, I love to, I love to read. (laughs) I really appreciate your time here and I know you have things to do. So, and thank you for taking your time out to share with us here. Well, it was my my privilege. Thank you, Brandy J. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Dr. Troy. You have a blessed day and I'll be uh, reaching out soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Take care.